the old pilot's plain tales, the Osso defence. When I embarked on my Air Force career, I had no idea just how much my experiences within the military were going to impact my life. But more than that, I was going to learn many lessons, some the hard way, but one in particular has always stuck with me and I have always tried, sometimes unsuccessfully, to live by it. It was a simple enough tenet. When you make a mistake, and everybody once in a while does, then come clean, admit your error, and face the consequences. Military authority has no time for obscuration, concealment, blame-shifting or denial, not when there are lives at risk. Admitting a mistake gives someone a chance to right the wrong and prevent further damage, allowing the situation to continue has the opposite effect. So whether it was fishing for drinks through the shutters of the closed mess bar, or admitting who it was who went through the circuit of Shobden Airfield at 250 feet and 420 knots, we always put our hands up and were ready to face the music, either by leaving a signed chit on the bar, admitting how much booze we had siphoned off, or ringing the airport manager and apologising yet again for frightening the locals. This attitude to life was typified by the attitude that if you were about to do something a bit close to the knuckle, it was probably better to ask for forgiveness afterwards than for permission beforehand. This straightforward attitude to life is followed by many, not just military types, and it's valued by many more which is why we despise the mealy-mouthed attitude of some politicians who shift blame and deny responsibility for their corrupt deeds. Of course, it's not just our political leaders who suffer from moral failure. CEOs are paid millions, up to three and four hundred times the average salary of their corporate minions to steer their companies through storms of competitive capitalism. When they fail, they collect more millions to go away, dangling from their golden parachutes. Corporate titans get paid regardless of success or failure. It's great work if you can get it. I'm certainly not trying to put myself on a pedestal, as those who know me are well aware of my many failings, but I truly believe that taking responsibility for one's actions is something to aim for. Sadly, there are also many who think such Boy Scout honesty is something that should be left behind in childhood, but luckily not many of those take on the responsibility of becoming a career pilot. So when I discovered recently that there is a name for this capacity to openly admit guilt for one's mistakes, it didn't come as a surprise that it was named after a pilot, Captain Ushaw. 
The USHO defence is taught in business studies as the frank acceptance of blame when something is essentially your fault. Its value is that it earns more respect than the use of petty excuses or attempts to avoid blame altogether. In the world of aviation, I would go on to say that, as a captain, it should be expanded to cover the actions of your crew. After all, the captain is ultimately responsible for everything that happens on board their aircraft, and the buck stops there. If you're not sure why Captain Asso's name is associated with this disarming form of defence, you would have to go back to the 22nd of November 1968. Kohi Asso was a former flight instructor for the Japanese military and had more than 10,000 hours of flight time in commercial airliners, including more than 1,000 hours in the DC-8, the most modern aircraft in Japan Airlines' fleet. His American first officer, Joseph Hazan, was also an ex-military pilot with over 10,000 hours of flight time, although not a lot in the DC-8. The Douglas DC-8 was a four-engined, narrow-body airliner of the late 1950s. Built initially in competition with Boeing, Convair, Fairchild, Lockheed and Martin for the contract to build the new KC-135 refuelling tanker, when they failed to win, Donald Douglas decided to continue with the project, converting the design into an airliner. With their previous experience in building large military jets, Boeing had the jump on everyone when they showcased the 707, but several airlines put in orders for the DC-8, including Japan Airlines. Although it was an early generation of jet airliner, it had some sophisticated systems, including an instrument landing system that would couple to the autopilot, allowing it to fly the aircraft down to the minimum break-off height, and then allow the pilots to complete the landing by hand. One of the DC-8s that JAL purchased was Juliet Alpha 8032, named Shiga, after the district that lies at the eastern foot of the Hira Mountains. It was delivered on the 27th of May 1968, only six months before Captain Asho would climb on board with his first officer, flight engineer, navigator and seventh cabin crew to fly it from Tokyo to San Francisco's international airports. Their passengers numbered 96, including six infants for the eight-and-a-half-hour flight. Their departure was delayed for nearly half an hour for maintenance work that needed to be done on the back of the main instrument panel. This included relocating the static pressure system hose to the captain's altimeter, the hose that delivers the outside air pressure, to allow the altitude of the aircraft to be properly measured by the altimeter. The maintenance crew were obviously under pressure as they overlooked the static leak check that would normally be required. After a normal takeoff, the crew received a nose gear unlatch light, 
indicating that the wheel hadn't locked itself in the up position, but this fault was cleared after the gear was recycled down and up again. The flight progressed across the Pacific Ocean, with their navigator keeping the aircraft on course, using long-range navigation systems and a sextant to track their progress. Although the captain did notice that his altimeter was reading slightly higher than the other instruments by a couple of hundred feet. As they approached San Francisco, their only real concern would have been the weather at their destination. The forecast they had received showed that they were expecting fog and low cloud along the American west coast, with ceilings varying from 0 to 300 feet and visibility from 0 to 2 miles. As they came closer, the actual conditions indicated an indefinite ceiling of 300 feet and a visibility of 1 mile, and 8 earlier flights had landed successfully. Captain Asso set up his approach, which was going to be an autopilot-coupled instrument landing system approach to runway 28 left. By all accounts, the approach was flown smoothly and accurately, with a constant rate of descent, although the captain did engage the inboard engine thrust reversers in order to reach 8,000 feet in time to conform with his controller's requirements a normal procedure for the DC-8. At 2,000 feet, they passed the outer marker at 8 miles from landing, but they flew through the ILS localizer beam and had to be turned back on. With his glide path indications apparently fluctuating, he transferred his gaze to the radio direction indicator, which he felt was a more reliable instrument. It was at this point that, whilst configuring the aircraft, an error was made. The captain was using a beacon at Woodside to give him centerline guidance, and the aircraft was coming down at the previously selected rate of descent, since Captain Asso had failed to arm his autopilot so that it would capture the ILS beams. When he did arm the coupled approach, he was already below the ILS glide path and the aircraft would never get to a point where it would intercept the beam and lock on. In addition, his first officer failed to note his error and didn't call the altitude when crossing the outer marker, in addition to failing to respond to his captain when he asked for confirmation of their height in comparison with the ILS indication. None of the four flight crew made any comment concerning the absence of indications that showed the autopilot was locked onto the ILS beam and that the aircraft was merely descending on autopilot with no guidance. When they came out of the cloud at less than 300 feet, the first officer called that they were breaking out of the overcast, but he couldn't see the runway lights. Then he cried out in alarm that they were too low and they should pull up. The flight engineer had been observing the approach and felt that things were all normal until they emerged from the cloud when he realised that they were still descending, so he called for the captain to pull up as well. 
Captain Asso had already realised something was wrong, and he pushed up the thrust levers to go around whilst pitching the nose up. But those early jet engines were slow to accelerate to high power, and he realised that he was too late as the main gear dipped into the water short of the runway. He closed the throttles, and the six-month-old DC-8 ploughed to a halt in the bay two and a half miles short of the runway. There was an unusually high tide of seven feet at the time which cushioned the landing, and Captain Asso felt the undercarriage settle gently onto the bottom of the bay, about 500 yards from the Coyote Point Yacht Harbour, with the water still below the level of the cabin. Everyone described the touchdown as very light, and many passengers didn't even realise there was a problem until the sight of water all around the aircraft began to alarm them. An eyewitness told news reporters of the time, I heard the plane very low coming in. I, I looked up, and there it was, splashing down, just beautifully. After the plane came to rest, the flight crew evacuated the aircraft, placing the passengers calmly into life rafts. The first officer launched a raft off the starboard wing when, a few moments later, a voice came out of the fog. Ahoy there! Toss me a line and I'll tow you in. Captain Asho was the last to leave, and there were no injuries amongst either the crew or the passengers. Nowadays, it would be quite usual for the captain of a crashed aircraft to be represented by his union and a whole team of lawyers, but at his hearing, when faced by the National Transport Safety Board, Captain Asho was alone and the first to take the stand as a witness. As the person ultimately responsible for the safe conduct of the flight, Kohi Asho took full responsibility for the accident and refused to blame anyone else nor any other circumstance, even though there were many mitigating reasons to explain his error. For example, the NTSB wrote... Neither the captain nor the first officer indicated that they fully understood the capabilities nor the operating techniques of the Sperry Flight Director system. Additionally, information received from several other JAL flight personnel indicated an overall feeling of insecurity when operating the flight director. This feeling was based on a lack of information and training before the pilots started to use the system. As a result, additional training aids and ground school courses were provided and a special training curriculum on autopilot procedures was prepared and implemented. However, instead of blaming Mother Nature, the fog, the faulty altimeter, his first officer's incorrect calls or his lack of training, Captain Asso famously said to the board sitting in front of him, As you Americans say, Asso effed up. And with that, the Asso defense was born. More importantly, that's what accountability sounds like. 
no denying, no finger-pointing, no excusing. The result of his open acceptance of blame was that Captain Asso was temporarily moved away from passenger aircraft on two cargo operations and demoted to first officer. He went through further ground training and continued to fly for Japan Airlines until his retirement. Shiga, his aircraft, however, was hoisted out of the sea, sprayed down with 17,000 gallons of fresh water, moved on to the airport by barge, and was found to have only slight structural damage. Within six months, it had been returned to JAL, renamed Hidaka, and it continued to serve them until 1983, when it was sold on to work as a freighter, before being finally scrapped in 2001. They don't build them like that anymore. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the most wonderful Airline Pilot Guys show. If you want to find out more about it, then take a look at airlinepilotguy.com. Plane Tales can also be downloaded as an independent podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, then I'd be very grateful if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Many thanks. And I... Hope you enjoyed this story.